Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard, good to be with you. We got a lot on the agenda. Breaking down news of the day, none other than David Schuster, TYT contributor and Rebel HQ creator. Now, we will also have a bullpen. In the bullpen, Dr. Alexander Salter is back. He's an economics professor from Texas Tech University. We're going to talk about America being a Christian nation. There are some people who still believe it was founded based on Christian ideology. I'm happy to set the record straight with the good professor. All right, top story of the day. Chicago cop, we covered this when it first happened. Chicago cop brutalized a 14 year old child. That Chicago cop has now been charged with two felonies. Let me remind you of the video, here it is. Fourteen year old child outside of Starbucks touched a bicycle, did not steal it, did not attempt to steal it, touched a bicycle. An off duty cop from Chicago thought this was a threat somehow to his son, at least that was the first narrative, and decided to engage in a physical assault against a 14 year old. Off duty Chicago police officer has now been charged for pinning a teenage child to the ground outside of a Starbucks at the beginning of July, believing the child was stealing his son's bike. The parents of the minor pushed for the cop to face felony counts of battery, stating the official racially profiled their son. On Thursday, August 18th, Park Ridge Police Department released a press release stating the Cook County State's Attorney has charged Michael Vela Tallarallo, 49 years of age, with two felonies, misconduct, and aggravated assault for his violent interaction on July 1st with Josh Neves, 14 years old, on the 100 block of South North Northwest Highway. The officer who happens to be a sergeant, which means a supervisor, was captured on video approaching, verbally abusing and assaulting the child after he alleged to have touched the son's bicycle. According to Ms. Neve, this is the victim's mother. She believes her son's friends demonstrated a great deal of bravery and courage by standing up to the adult. The family's attorney echoed those sentiments, standing with the parents during a press conference that took place a few days ago. He argued, and I quote, if it was not for the boys, there's no telling what may have happened. The teen's family believes the officer's conviction and refusal to believe the kids were fueled by racial prejudice. Lifting that the child is Puerto Rican and the officer is white. The child was also the only child of color in the gathering. We're still trying to assess the full impact of this traumatic incident on our son who is only 14 and still processing what happened to him, they wrote. There is absolutely no room in our community for this type of unnecessary aggression against our children. We are grateful for today's progress. 
Now I want to remind everybody once again, when did this happen? We covered this in July. We covered this in July. We had the video in July. We had the video immediately. Show the video. He's an off-duty cop. Now I want you to think about the irony of this. He's an off-duty police officer. He's in an outing with his family, this off-duty cop. All of a sudden, when he commits an act of violence against a child, he's not arrested for child abuse. He's not arrested for violation of oath. He's not arrested for physical assault or battery. He's let go. He gets to go home and explain himself. And then the wheels of justice move very slow. Now, is he a cop or is he not a cop? Because if he's not a cop during that moment, if he's off duty, he goes to jail. Because there's no protection extended for off duty cops. If I did something like that to a 14 year old child, I will go to jail. Doesn't matter what I did for a living. So for some reason, it seems as if cops are able to utilize this privilege at their discretion to stop or significantly slow down the wheels of justice from turning against them. If it had not been for the public pressure placed on this particular incident and the video going viral, that cop would have gotten away with it. This off duty police officer would have gotten away with child abuse. And even now, the charges do not suggest that this individual will be gone from the police department. And here's why. At some point, they're going to plead this down. I don't think he's going to get a violation of oath of office. I don't think he's going to get a criminal charge for a minor or criminal assault against a minor. I think they're going to plead this out to a misdemeanor. Okay, uh, David, thoughts on this? Well, I think the privilege goes even further than as you well articulated. Because imagine if a um, suppose an off-duty cop had been thrown to the ground and had his, had somebody had a knee on his back from somebody who was much larger, and that video was was available immediately. Of course, the police would have made either arrest right on the scene, or they would have gone and busted down the door of that person who did that, and they would have thrown him in jail. The idea that it takes six weeks yeah. after you guys had this video for them to actually bring charges, and oh by the way. This is you know now it's not even as if the, the, the off-duty cop is going to jail. As you mentioned, there'll be discussions with prosecutors. There'll be some sort of plea agreement. I don't think he'll say he'll see a night in jail. But if the situation reversed, and again, it was a police officer who had been had a back in the knee, uh, had a knee in the back from somebody much larger than them, this would have the justice would have been served immediately. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. So we're seeing some semblance of justice, but at the end of the day, it's about adjudication. How do these cases? Finalized, and that has been the disconnect, even when we see some level of justice in the beginning. We're going to continue to follow this story. All right, I'm bringing you an update. This is an indisputable exclusive. No other news agency has this video. Let me remind you of the pastor in Alabama who was arrested for watering his plants. Let me remind you of him, put up his picture. That pastor went to jail for watering the plants of his neighbor. He was inside of his own community. He was harassed by the police. We now have the video and we are the only outlet with this video so far. So let me first take you to the approach and the question posed to Pastor Jennings on that day. Here it is. Howdy. Hey man, how's it going? Pretty good. What you doing here, man? Water flower. Are they saying that, is that your vehicle? Not. It's not? It's the neighbor's vehicle. The neighbor's? 314, I'll be on 13. Okay. Yeah, you live here? 
Nah, I don't even. Okay. Uh, they saying that this vehicle is not supposed to be here and you're not supposed to be who here. Who saying that? They called about it. I don't know who I, called. I'm supposed to be here. I'm Pastor Jennings. I live across the street. You're Pastor Jennings? Yes. I'm looking out for their house while they're gone. Okay. Uh, why didn't they fly? Okay. Well, that's cool. Now, do you have, like, ID? And I don't all? know, man. I'm not going to give you no ID. Why not? I ain't did nothing wrong. I did well, you, look, listen, listen. I'm not saying do nothing wrong. No, listen, There's a suspicious I a, person. Look, I used to be a police officer in Goodwater. Don't come in with that. Okay. Look, man, don't do this to me. Yeah. There's a suspicious person in the yard, and if you're not one to identify yourself... I don't have to identify myself. It's not a, a stop and identify state. That guy know me. He came to my store that got broke in. I live right over there across the street. Who calls y'all? That's what we got to figure out. But yeah, first, who I... Calls? Do you live here? He don't live here. I'm not saying nothing about You have no right to approach me if I ain't did nothing suspicious or nothing wrong. Told him I'm a pastor. I pastor until I don't hear you. You want to lock me up? Lock me up. Nobody wants to lock me up. I'm not showing y'all anything. I'm a casino with all these flowers. I don't care who called y'all. Lock me up and see what happens. I got much more video. So right now, Officers are approaching an individual. Here's what we clearly know. The owners did not call the police. Watering somebody's plants, not suspicious. And it does not create what's called probable cause in order to engage in an investigation and arrest. But because they could not put this black man in his place, because this black man did not yes or boss them and do everything they said, because this black man actually knew his rights, here's what they decided to do. We got one that's not listening to it. Look, man, let me see your phone. Let me see your phone, dude. Just calm down, okay? No, no. Stop. I like this. Okay. We're just trying to talk to you and Sir, see. I don't, don't want to argue with you, okay? Yeah. Go ahead. Don't do what don't you got to do, Doc. Do what you got to do. Go on okay. and lock me up. Look, just have a seat. It's already locked up. You're just... It's already lost. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's already okay. Lost. Just have a seat, okay? Okay. I already lost. Okay, look, man. I... Who called y'all? We I don't have you. that demon. You myself. will not listen. I have a call on you. You have to identify yourself to me. You I understand what no, I'm telling no. you? No, I don't. You wait for what I want. Take me down, book me. Go do what you need to do. Go do what you need to do. Do you know that gentleman? Like, yeah. You do? Yeah. Does he, does he have permission? He lives right there. Okay, does he have permission here to be watering flowers? He may because um, they are friends. Okay. And they went out of town today, so right. he may be watering their flowers. Okay. It'd be completely normal. Okay, that's is fine. that that's that's fine. If he would have said, "Hey, I got this," gave his identification because he's a suspicious person, uh, he said that's not his vehicle; it's, it's their vehicle. Okay. We were called. Like, yeah. We're we're here okay. because we're called here. I don't know who called, but somebody did. There's a reasonable suspicion that you're here. It's not a crime. Yeah, if, you, if you would have said, yeah, here's my name, here's everything, no, we were like, okay. You told him my name. You I didn't tell me your name. I, I decided, he asked me who I was. I said, you didn't give it to me when I first Pastor asked. Pastor Jennings. Pastor Jennings. That's not a name. Well, That's a pastor. Yeah. I need God, your name. The way y'all handled this situation was totally wrong. Well, listen. You're, you're racial profile. We're not racial profile. No, sir. No, sir. We're not about I that. I told okay? you I was here watering the flowers. How do I know that's the truth? Anybody. I had the water holes in my hand. I was watering the flowers. Dumbass cops. How, 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 do, how do I know you're watering plants? Dumbass because he's watering plants. That's how you know. Detective, investigator. I got more video. So now, what has happened? Neighbor, all right, a good white woman, right? A good white neighbor has validated. Now, did the police officer say, well, 
Madam neighbor, um, I need to see your ID because I just can't trust your story. No, he trusted what she said 100%. I need you to catch that. The officer trusted what the white woman told him about the black male resident in that community. He did not trust the black male who told him why he was watering the plants, but he trusted the white female on face value. That's called implicit bias. Now, here's where the cops decide to still charge the lawful resident, Pastor Jennings, and the pastor was correct on the law, the cops were incorrect. I'm gonna show that in just a moment. So they decide to charge him and they lie. Here it is. So just obstruction? Just a little or obstruction? Obstruction. I'll just do a, just do obstruction. Obstruction of governmental operations? Yeah. We're here to investigate a call and he wouldn't give us his yeah. name or any other thing. Yeah, we told him he was trying to call the owner. But still, I need his name. You know, we, we gotta have his name. Yeah. Well, I'll take him over to the PD for you. Yeah, I'll go get gas. If there's no, uh, in the bond book, if it's not listed, just do the lowest one, the 500. I don't know if it's gonna be in the bond book or not. That way we won't be overcharging or anything like that. He seems like a reasonable, nice guy, I don't understand. Yeah. He shouldn't, he, if you. he's a good water police, he said this ain't an ident identifying state. Yes, it is. Talk to us. Well, she does tell us it's, it's a mistake yes. and all that stuff. At this point, oh he's already God. collected the charge. We Once we place him on arrest, we can't unarrest him. Does that make sense? This is so simple. And the neighbor just told him this morning, please water the plants and, and, and take care of it. He said that, but it was all house. afterwards. It was all afterwards. Yeah. What you doing here, man? Water flower. I'm supposed to be here. I'm Pastor Jennings. I live across the street. That satisfied every legal requirement and I looked up Alabama law, got something to expose here. Now the pastor said, if you arrest me, you're gonna get sued. That's exactly what has happened. Once again, this is an indisputable exclusive. Let me give you some background. Pastor Michael Jennings, as reported previously was charged. Those charges were later absolutely dropped. He did say he would sue, let's put up his attorneys. Boom, those are two people you don't wanna see coming. So Pastor Jennings is represented by National Civil Rights Attorney Harry M. Daniels and Bethany Embry Jones of the Embry Law Firm. Daniels and Jones sent a statement to me directly. They said, and I quote, Pastor Michael Jennings did nothing wrong. The responding officers asked them him to identify himself and asked why he was at the particular resident, and he did. He told them he was Pastor Jennings, the name of the church, he pastors, he pointed out his address across the street and told them why he was there watering his neighbor's flowers. So you gotta think about this, think about this. Not only did he say who he was, he told them where he worked. He gave them his address, pointed directly to his home and gave them the reason for his presence, which he did not have to. But then there's a deeper search into the Alabama law. So unfortunately, that was not good enough for these particular cops on that day. They chose to arrest Pastor Jennings without a scintilla of arguable probable cause to do so, according to the attorneys. Notably, Pastor Jennings was under no obligation, no obligation to identify himself pursuant to Alabama Code Section 15-5-30. It's called stop and identify law because he was not in a public space, which is required. 
We are thankful that like so many other, we are thankful that Pastor Jennings is here today to tell his story and did not become a hashtag like so many other people of color. So, so the cops were wrong, they were incorrect. This is not an issue about identifying who you are, it's not what it is. In order for that law to apply, you must be in a public space. <clears throat> Being in a residential yard is not considered a public space by law. The officers were wrong and they arrested them anyway, being cowards that they are. That's a damn shame. The guy in charge, put him up. This is your chief of police. His name is Rick McClellan. He is the chief of police for Childersburg where this took place. So now we have the video. Now we have the rest of the story. Now the lawsuit is coming. And yes, these cops have engaged in defunding the police cuz they will have to settle or they will lose in court. All right. I know it's a lot to this story, David. What are your thoughts here so far? Well, I, I look, this is totally about the cops' own ego, right? Because okay. if they actually managed to put their ego aside and actually knew how to use this thing called Google, they could have found out in 10 seconds that Mr. Jennings was a pastor. They would have confirmed that yes, he lived across the street, and that would have been the end of it. But because these cops are so offended because somebody doesn't want to provide an identification when they don't have to, then the cops have to go and make up a bunch of nonsense. And this idea that, oh, well, once we put them under arrest, then we can't drop a charge, that's also nonsense. So I hope Mr. Jennings, Pastor Jennings and his church, I hope that they don't have to pass the plate around for decades to come, that they get so much money out of this local police department that that church is able to add a new wing. Yeah, I feel like the Lord is about to send them a blessing. <laughs> this has been a horrific, Viral video, um, cops suspended for pummeling a shoeless man on the street. This is graphic, here it is. This is bad. We gotta get out of here. <gasps> what you witnessed right there was a crime. Those police officers thought they had hidden themselves away from cameras. They thought the angle of the vehicle, their car and that corner would protect them. But there was somebody at the precise angle needed in order to capture this criminal activity. Let's put up a picture of the victim. Let's start there. The victim is Randall Worcester, 27 years of age. He was the man attacked. According to witnesses, he was sitting on the curb and talking with law enforcement officers when she arrived at the gas station. Johnson said her sister reported the man stood up like he's going to run away and the officers tackled him. The witness thought the man seemed to be in mental health distress. The man you're looking at is charged with second degree battery, resisting arrest, possession or possessing an instrument of crime, criminal trespass, criminal mischief, terroristic threats, as well as first and second degree assault charges. That's according to the sheriff's office. 
The sheriff says he was wanted for allegedly threatening a gas station clerk in a neighborhood town. Worcester is being held on the $15,000 bond. So this, those cops you saw, you saw three cops, but those three cops, they work for two different agencies. Two of those cops are sheriff deputies. One cop is a Mulberry police officer. Now, granted, they have different protocols, perhaps. They have different procedures, maybe. They have different supervisors, yes. Their training is slightly modulated for their particular position. They have different ranks. They come from different walks of life. But they all did the same thing. All of them on the same page, all of them. Not one of them said, wait guys, we don't need to do it this way. Or hey, 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 calm down. Now one of them intervened. Now one of them reported the other. Because the culture permeates beyond the policy. There's more to this story. The Marbury police officer is now on administrative leave, pending the investigation outcome. Now that administrative leave comes with money, ladies and gentlemen. The city of Marbury and the Marbury Police Department takes these investigations very seriously. Holds all their officers accountable for their actions. I put up the picture of the chief here. The county sheriff is Jimmy DeMonte. Once again, what did you see in that video? You saw clear cut criminal behavior. There's no explanation for that. Nobody can say, well, I need more context. We need time to look over all of the evidence. These are stall tactics that have been utilized for many, many years by law enforcement. The reality is cop and community, the divide that exists will not remedy itself, will not start to repair if cops are not held accountable quickly, swiftly. Wheels of justice, they have to move. I would submit faster against those who are in law enforcement. Shame on those who are actually positioned with public trust to simply violate that public trust and get away with it or think they can. Those are the people prosecutors should say we need to make an example out of. All right, we're gonna follow this story. Obviously, that's a horrific video and criminal activity. These cops need to be charged. When I posted this on social media, a guy who's a current police officer said, listen, doc, I'm a current police officer, gave his credentials. He said, I hope these cops get charged and convicted without question. All right, okay, uh, David, thoughts on this case? Well, real quickly, I'll just say that, uh, look, even if Mr. Georgester had committed assault, had engaged in terroristic threatening, at the moment that the police officers actually pull him to the ground, they cannot repeatedly knee him. They cannot slam his head from his hair onto the concrete. It is not the responsibility of police officers to mete out punishment when somebody commits a crime. It's the justice system, the juries, the judges that do that. And anybody who thinks, oh no, the police were somehow justified. They are justified in some cases to use force to get somebody who's trying to run away, even though this was clearly a mental health crisis. But at the moment that they've got him on the ground, they cannot keep beating on him. And to me, this says that these cops just wanted to send him a lesson, even though he was probably so confused mentally about what was going on, that the only lesson is that these are some really, really bad cops. Really bad cops, and listen, you know this, I know this, not their first time, not their first rodeo. First time caught, yes, first time on camera likely. But I guarantee you, once we get all the exposure we're going to get out of this case, all of those cops are gonna have a historical reality of violence against citizens. I promise you that, happens every time. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay.
Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Uh, let me remind everybody, uh, this is good stuff. Okay, progressives and the establishment will go head to head again, another round of primaries. That's tomorrow, all right, August 23rd. Tune in to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. We got the crew, we're gonna cover races in New York and Florida. Watch on tyt.com forward slash live, tyt.com forward slash live. All right, read some of these comments. Travel Nurse Dragon says, just another example of the cops making sure that justice is blind. Yeah, I am Sock says, it's a criminal conspiracy to water neighbor's plants. And see, that's the whole thing, right? What makes that scene suspicious? You gotta think about that, okay, you're suspicious, but why? Why am I suspicious? That doesn't make sense. You watering somebody's plants is suspicious to the cop. It's because he's black, that's why it was suspicious to the police. Uh, Damon Alexander, does anyone believe this is proper policing? Talking about the cops that beat the man up, no, of course not. John Schultz, props to the person who filmed it. It's gonna be scary knowing that they could uh, see you and maybe come after you, yep. Uh, big ups to that person who is the unsung hero in doing so. Twitch, Blazing Monkey says, there was blood on the pavement. This dude belongs in jail simply because he is a cop. All right, I got something for everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're gonna feel great, back off! I'm gonna tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. You ever cut me off again, I'll beat the out of you. You know what you did. You cut me off good. Call the off. Now I know where you live. Good, good. Because I know where you live. Boom. Boom, bitch. Tell your mama to quit cutting people off. Everything okay? No, it's not. She cut me off in the most act like a idiot. You. Yeah, call the cops so I can tell them. Cause you're, guess what? See this little camera right here? You're on it too, bitch. Okay. Throw your hands up again. No, you. I'll fix your car when I run my dick up your ass. This male Karen has been exposed. We do have the information. Uh, the Karenicity runs deep. Obviously, this male Karen is extremely dangerous. This guy decided to follow this family home after he was, according to him, cut off in traffic. He then proceeds to commit another criminal act, terroristic threats. He then destroys property, okay? So the incident appears to have happened on August 19th. The woman, her name is Jillian, all right? Took to Facebook to detail the incident saying, and I quote, please share and help us identify this guy. This road rage incident happened to my son and I. He blamed me for cutting him off as I merged onto Highway 27. Please excuse his foul language. He chased us off the exit and approached my vehicle, punching my windows. And as I took off, he ran after my car, threatening to shoot us. He then followed us, so I pulled into a friend's driveway with cameras. The police were called. We were unable to get a tag number from the Toyota Corolla. He has been identified, let's put up his picture. His name is Michael Harvey. 
Michael Harvey is the male Karen in that video. We do not have details if Mr. Harvey has been arrested. We do not have details if the police have been notified as to this being Michael Harvey. And if they have not, that means that I have just notified them that the individual committing those multiple acts of criminal of criminal activities, his name in fact is Michael Harvey. David, people cannot say that I'm anti-police. I'm anti-bad police. Right. But damn it, today we're going to seek justice. Well, and kudos to the uh, to the woman, uh, yeah. the mother, for having the you know to the tenacity and being able to think. I mean, most of us, when we're sort of you know approached in that situation, our mind sort of goes out the window. She had enough sense to be able to say, "Okay, I'm going to drive to where I have a neighbor or a friend who has cameras." I mean, yep. that is brilliant. And the fact of the matter is, you know, I used to be once upon a time think, "Oh, all these cameras is going to be trouble." No, because if if everyone were to act as if they were always on camera, you were always being recorded. Even people who have these impulses, these violent psychopathic impulses to scream at people might think twice about actually doing so. And so I'm, I, you know, I hope that the police actually do make an arrest and kudos to this woman and her family for their perseverance in all of this. Very well said. All right, Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham will not have to testify at least right now. All right, he will not have to testify in the state of Georgia because of a federal judge. That federal judge, however, is wrong in this ruling, and I will expose the reason. A federal appeals court on Sunday has now paused, temporarily paused, a district's court order that required the Republican Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina to appear before a grand jury in Georgia. The grand jury, remember the grand jury in Georgia is in a county called Fulton County. This grand jury is a special purpose grand jury. That special purpose grand jury is investigating the infamous call that Trump made to Raffensperger. Also by extension, the call that Lindsey Graham made to Raffensperger, the chief elections officer, secretary of state. When they tried to coerce this election official, to overturn the results. Now remember, we're talking about state laws here. Georgia has two specific state laws about interfering with elections. These state laws apply directly to government officials. And one is a felony version of the law and the other is a misdemeanor version of the law. So we're dealing with state laws here. And it's up to the state to determine if their state laws have been violated. Is it up to the grand jury to determine who needs to sit for this testimony. So let me give you the background. The 11th US Circuit Judge, Court of Appeals, sent the proceedings around the, said the proceedings around the Fulton County Grand Jury subpoena, sent them back to the district court with instruction that the district court should consider whether the subpoena should be partially quashed or modified in accordance with Constitution's speech and debate clause. So this is what they, this is what they're saying. You already have one federal court that said, nope, Lindsay, you gotta go and testify. You gotta go before the grand jury. It's a fitting thing to do, it's appropriate to your office, and it does not violate any constitutional standard. So the first ruling was in favor of the Fulton County Grand Jury. The second ruling has decided to pause that, all right, under the Constitution Speech and Debate Clause. So what is that? What is the Speech and Debate Clause? The speech and debate clause, which is a clause in the United States Constitution, codified Article 1, Section 6, Clause 1, 
The clause states that members of both the House, both Houses of Congress, shall in all cases except treason, felony, and breach of the peace, be privileged from arrest during their attendance at the session of their respective houses, and in going to and from the same. And for any speech or debate in either house, they shall not be questioned in any other place. You see, the Article 1, Section 6, Clause 1 of the US Constitution does not cover what Lindsey Graham did. Lindsey Graham is not traveling to legislative session where he's basically immune from arrest, not immune for prosecution. They can still prosecute him after session, but he's immune from arrest during that time. Typically, it also creates immunity from civil litigation. That's how this has been utilized in case law. But it does not create immunity in cases of a felony. Remember, it specifically says, except for felonies and treason, etc. Well, the statute that they are investigating in Fulton County is a felony statute, which means, according to the Constitution, Lindsay has no immunity here because we're talking about a felony charge. See how this works? But somehow, a federal judge who's learned it in the law, has been a judicial officer for many years, could not come to the same conclusion as his colleague on the federal bench or many others who simply look at the Constitution. The intended purpose is to prevent a US president or other officials of the executive branch from having members arrested on a pretext to prevent them from voting a certain way or otherwise taking actions which with which the president might disagree. It also protects members from civil suits related to their official duties, all right? The constitutional provision shields lawmakers from certain law enforcement actions in some scenarios. Graham had pointed to it in his challenge to the subpoena, which demanded he testify on Tuesday in front of a special grand jury in Fulton County. The appeals court panel made up of circuit judges Charles Wilson and Kevin Newsom and also Britt Grant said in his order that the district court could expedite the briefing around modifying the subpoena in a manner that the judge deems appropriate. The appeals court said that after that question is resolved, the matter will return back to the court of appeals for consideration. So basically, they're saying, listen, we're not saying no, he cannot testify, but we are saying that the subpoena needs to have more restrictions as to not violate this particular constitutional issue. I don't think there's a constitutional issue whatsoever. I agree with the first decision of the federal court that this was well outside of the scope of that particular constitutional protection. All right, David, thoughts on this? I would say if I'm responding to the subpoena, I would say, okay, fine, we will we will change the subpoena and we will promise we are not gonna ask Lindsey Graham about any debate that he had in the US Senate, about any right. hearing. We're not even gonna ask him about his vote, not to necessarily certify the election. But we are gonna ask him about a private conversation that he had with Georgia officials about trying to find 11,000 votes. That, there you go, the subpoena's done. And, and you know, Lindsey Graham's, I, I respect the idea that lawmakers should not have to have you know, official actions and debates subject to grand juries and all that sort of thing. That's not this case, this case is cut and dry. Very well said, exactly on point. All right, we got more on the other side, it's indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Let me remind everybody about Unbossed with Nina Turner. This is a big deal. Idea Sister will expose how the elites in government, media, and other sectors game the system for what people and what people can do to fix it. Subscribe to Unbossed with Nina Turner. Get ready to tune in daily at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, starting October 17th. TYT.com forward slash Unbossed. 
TYT. So looking forward to this. All right, let me read a couple of comments. Chicago Not Beer Dragon says, no, no, more special treatment and immunity for these people. They are our representatives, not our betters. Equal justice under the law. C. Michael Henson, thank you, C. Michael. I wish you Karen would have followed me to my old neighbor, to my old hood. Let's see if he had the same energy in the homies driveway. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great point, man. Um, and the answer would have been no. All right, and Twitch, agonistic sister Lindsay, who did you pay off? You know, him and the judge go way back. All right, there's a cop who has now resigned because he decided to hold a pregnant mother at gunpoint unjustifiably. All right, um, let me put up their pictures here. You see the cop, you see the mother. A deputy sheriff in Bradford County, Florida, yep, Florida, has now resigned from his job with the sheriff's office after serving in law enforcement for two years. His conduct included a recent traffic stop where he held a mother at gunpoint in front of her children. It was so egregious that the agency immediately released a statement to distance themselves from the deputy. Ebony Washington's children were in the car when she was pulled over and held at gunpoint by a deputy Jacob DeSue, then serving at the Bradford County Sheriff's Office. This took place Friday, August 12th. She was pulled over for speeding, doing 72 and a 55, okay? Washington was detained for 10 to 15 minutes before the deputy supervisor arrived on the scene. The supervisor released her. Gave her a tra- traffic citation, that's it, it was a speeding ticket, okay? Because of his inappropriate behavior during the arrest, the deputy faced a last straw disciplinary action that forced him to resign, which means what? It means he's had other incidents. A last straw incident means you've had others. Attorney John Phillips is representing Washington and her family. After Washington was asked to get out of the car, she can be heard in the body cam footage saying that she wanted to get to a well lit area. Since she was in the middle of rural Bradford County with her three children in the back seat, she says she wanted them to feel comfortable. After explaining that to the officer, he responds, and I quote, Your excuse means nothing to me right now. I don't want to hear it. That's what he said. It's basically how he said it. He then proceeded to say, You make any movement. That will be your last mistake you ever make. Now, this is a black woman. She's obviously pregnant. She has multiple children in the car. And that's how he's talking. He reportedly says as he put the gun toward her. I ain't worried, I got my gun. The deputy eventually put his gun away and placed her in the handcuffs. Washington continued to explain to him that she did not or why she did not immediately pull over. He said, I don't care about the why, shut up, he tells her. A spokesperson for the sheriff's office said that by turning on the hazard lights and dropping some speed, she did the right thing by letting the deputy know that she was there. In a statement, the attorney Phillips said the officer's comments were in fact racially charged. But Bradford County Sheriff's Office, Colonel and Chief Deputy Brad Smith says that was not the case. Let's go to that quote. Not a racial situation at all. The deputy in the question is a man of color, he said. 
There was just some level of not responding to his training and continued conversations about how he was handling situations. And he wasn't adjusting to that, Smith said. The cop had been with sheriff's office since 2020 after graduating the academy. While the sheriff's office tried to develop him, Chief Smith says a written reprimand letter show the office has had several issues with him before. Okay, the last time we had an issue, we entered what's called a last chance agreement. And he basically tenders his resignation. And if there's any more issues within a year, the sheriff can choose to accept that resignation. And that's what happened here. His verbal abuse wasn't tolerable. And we weren't going to allow that at the Bradford County Sheriff's Office. Phillips released a statement addressing the resignation. Ms. Washington has spoken to the mayor who indicated prior issues with the same cop. We have since learned he has resigned. He said in a statement to Action News Jax, justice is spelled one way but defined many different ways. This is one step towards justice while Ms. Washington is regretful for speeding. We are all mindful that it led to a public official acknowledging a problem and an aggressive officer resigning. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that interesting? Um, So let's be very clear about treatment here. We have seen routinely, regardless of color, we have seen routinely police officers treat individuals um, less than human, less than appropriate, and sometimes downright criminal. Last week, I covered a story out of Atlanta, Georgia, where an African American male police officer decided to um, harass a black woman at a park, put her under arrest uh, because she was at the park too late. She did not sign the citation initially, asked for his badge number. He gets upset. She then proceeds to say, I'll go ahead and sign the citation. He says, oh, it's too late now. That was a black male arresting a black female because she hesitated to sign the citation. For something that's not even a crime, by the way. It was an ordinance. All right, David, thoughts on this? Well, I'm glad that Bradford County is gonna be rid of this particular officer, law enforcement officer. But I, my fear is that without a national law enforcement database, it's yep. gonna be very easy for this guy to go to another jurisdiction and say, "Oh yeah, I have experience in law enforcement and boom, he gets hired. And that's, you know, we can't keep allowing people like this to just go from one job to the next to the next and continue to have access to a badge and a gun. Because clearly this guy has a violence problem, he has a temperament problem, he should not be a police officer, he should not be a security officer of any kind. But there's gotta be some way that our system tracks these people and make sure that they stay out of dangerous situations. You're so correct, and that's why we have advocated for the George Floyd Policing and Accountability Act. That would have been one mandate in that federal law, which would have been a database. Uh, The database that the county sheriff has, we should have. If they know who the bad cops are, we should know who the bad cops are patrolling our community. If they can know our background, we need to be able to know theirs. We pay them, they do not pay us, this is very simple. A grown man, a grown ass man decides to fight a 13 year old child. It was a handful for the guy, here it is. Get someone, yo. Get off. 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 Get off.
This happened in Valencia, California. Let's put up a picture of one of the men who tried to help separate the man from the teenager. So you're looking at an individual who was seen trying to separate this grown man and the child. He wrestled with the teen in a vacant parking lot space for several moments. When eventually several bystanders, including other teenagers, started approaching them and pulling them off of each other. Ricky Harmison, a witness who was working at the coffee shop, said it's just ridiculous that somebody would be in a mindset to attack an eighth grader. And I completely concur, okay? Um, the students were out of class, they were near their junior high school, they were getting snacks and drinks at a nearby gas station, doing what children do. Harmison said the man reportedly became agitated when the students were crowding to get in when he was trying to leave. He told the group of boys that they need to get back. And if they didn't get back, he was gonna fight them and beat them up. Them being children, they talked back to him. Harmison said the man chased the boys into the parking lot of the coffee shop. That's when the fight broke out. After Harmison eventually helped get the two separated. He said the boy ended up with scuffs and bruises and the man had a bloody mouth. When he got up, he was stumbling, Harmison said. I did smell alcohol on his breath, so he may have been intoxicated. Let me take you to the um, Sheriff's Department, okay? Um, The LA County Sheriff's Department said that the man could face battery charges But once their investigation is concluded, more charges could be added. According to the LA County Sheriff's Office, the man in the fight is in his 50s, okay? And he left before deputies could arrive. He has now been identified, but not arrested. He has been identified, but not arrested. Well, we need to change that immediately. They're calling for anyone with additional information. They want them to call the sheriff's office. Okay, fine. That number is 661-260-4000. What other information do they need? It's a 13 year old who's being beat up by a grown drunk man. Okay, all right, David, what are your thoughts on this? Look, I, I totally get, I get that you know we all have moments when a kid mouths off, mouths off to us or where somebody's disrespectful or somebody does something like cuts us off in traffic or does something really obnoxious. And yeah, all of us at some point may get angry, um, but the moment somebody actually has an impulse and they think, okay, I'm gonna act on that anger. That's the moment that person needs to realize they need to get some help because you cannot be a police officer, you cannot be an ordinary citizen. We all have a right to feel angry, to be infuriated at somebody, but you don't have a right to raise your fist or challenge somebody to a fight or get into a fight. And if you are that person, get some help. Yeah, or get your ass kicked. And sometimes that helps people, it's unfortunate, but sometimes a bigger bully will stop another bully. I don't. Condone violence, I do condone self-defense. All right, we got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay.
Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments very quickly. Um, make it see the silver head dragon says, given how trigger happy cops are, anytime they pull their guns out makes my heart drop. They're so terrified of everyone that they can pull the trigger by accident at any time. And as often as they do it intentionally, it could just be muscle memory. All right, what if I told you that a detained woman got free of her handcuffs, grabbed an AR-15 weapon inside of the police car and shot the police officer, shot at civilians and was not killed, was apprehended. But that's exactly what happened. Let me take you to the video, here it is. Get her wrist free from the handcuffs, and the handcuffs were put on properly. She was able to reach up on our consoles. There's uh, several switches. One is a gun switch to unlock the gun lock, and she found it, unlocked the gun lock, and was able to receive, retrieve a AR-15 rifle. And then she was able to figure out how to put a round in it, put it on fire, and she fired approximately 10 rounds at our depth. What was that? I'm hit right here. I'm hit. Yeah. I'm hit right here too, Danny. Hit in the head. 2615 County, we got shots fired up here. We need backup immediately. Start EMS. Start EMS. We got a civilian. Got a civilian hit. What the heck? She get out of her cups? No. Did he go in? Stay in. You see her, Danny? You got eyes on? Huh? Shots fired. Get over here. Get over here. Your dad's hit, man. He got hit. He got hit. Get in. Dad, are you okay? I mean, did they even return fire? I'm not saying this woman should be dead. I am saying if she was dead, it would be understandable. Put up a picture. I appreciate when there's a preservation of life every time. Here's my point. Just as Miss Rachel Zion Clay is alive. George Floyd should be alive. Just as Rachel Zion Clay is alive, Breonna Taylor should be alive. I can go down the list. She actually was armed and dangerous, she's alive. The individuals I just named, the black folks were not armed. They were not dangerous and they are in fact dead. 36 year old woman has now been arrested for additional charges, I'm gonna get into that in a minute. Her name, obviously Rachel Zion Clay. She she later testified, excuse me, she tested positive for methamphetamine. They have now increased her charges for shooting with intent to kill and is being held on a $1 million bond. The fact that she even has a bond is amazing to me. This happened on August 12th when the Grady County Sheriff's Office received a call Friday morning about a suspicious individual near home. Clay will be found crawling about on her hands and knees in the backyard and howling. Deputy said they did not originally intend to arrest her. 
um, as she was only in protective custody for her own safety. But once Clay slipped her handcuffs and grabbed the AR-15, she fired nearly 10 rounds hitting a deputy and hit the homeowner. Both men sustained non-life threatening injuries, but obviously all of them could be dead. Um, she'd barricade herself in the cruiser for three hours before eventually surrendering. That's what she did. Um, that's the vehicle, that's the vehicle in question. So she shoots a deputy, she shoots a civilian. She's in a vehicle with actual artillery weapons that she has already fired and she's apprehended. They waited for her because they valued her life. They instinctively valued her life. And they acted in a way, they performed in a way that showed that value. Grady County Under Sheriff Gary Bodges said, the office is now updating its protocols to keep deputies safe. One, I will say, is our console where we actually keep said gun. She was able to see that, that's going to be replaced. We're going to put a switch someplace else in the vehicle lock. Uh, yeah, you think so, um, Sheriff? It may not be a good idea to, for people that are in the back of your squad car to have access to your AR-15 just because they push a damn button, all right? Good call there. Bodges also added in, I quote, it's a freak deal. It's, none of, it's one of these, I'm going to say one in a million. But you know, it's one of those deals that, you know, once it happens, then you go back and try to make sure it never happened again. That's why we're looking at it. All right, uh, David, my dear brother. You know, this is one of these, it's not one in, a, one in a million because what happens is police are trained to dominate and it's easy to dominate and to literally choke the life out of somebody who is on the ground, who you've already got pinned down. It's really easy for a police officer to dominate that person. But the moment police suddenly look up and they're up against an AR-15 or they're up against a kid with an AR-15 in a school, suddenly it's, oh, we gotta retreat, we gotta wait this out, mm-hmm. as opposed to charging in and trying to take that person's life, no, the police, they get afraid when they are outgunned or strategically in a position where they can't dominate. That's when the police retreat and they're frightened. Um, and you know we need to do a better job of getting police to you know to respond differently, but also to recognize that they don't have to dominate when they do have physical superiority or in a better strategic position over somebody. They, we should all they should be waiting out and trying to talk down everybody. I wish I wish every situation where there was a confrontation lasted three hours. That would show the police are showing some patience. That's right, listen, um, I need police to start treating unarmed black people like they treat armed white women who have shot them. Because obviously due process is allocated to them. She will go to court, she will likely be convicted, but she's gonna get her chance at due process. The other individuals who are unarmed and not dangerous did not. David, always great having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Dr. Richie, people can follow me at Rebel HQ, both on Facebook and YouTube. Just go into the search and search Rebel HQ on YouTube or Facebook, you'll find our stuff there. And on the Good Weeks, Dr. Richie, I'm on indisputable with you. So this is a great <laughs> way to start the week, thank you. Always a pleasure, my dear brother. We'll talk soon, okay? Take care. We got more on the other side. The bullpen is next, stick and stay. Welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these comments. V says, must be nice being a blonde or white female in the US. Naughty's Maximus says, good thing that detained woman didn't open the box 
in the cop car that read rocket launcher, use only in emergencies. Uh, Larry Billups, they never fired one shot back at her. Um, and Twitch, uh, fascist killer says, and of course we all know if that was a black person, that woman would have been toast. RC underscore tycoon 13 says three hours. Um, I'm with you, doc. How is she not dead? Oh wait, she's white, okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. He's back in the bullpen today. We have Professor Alexander Salter, economics professor, Texas Tech University, co-author of Money and the Rule of Law, Comparative Economics Research Fellow, Free Market Institute, commentator Young Voices. Always good to have you, Professor. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me back. We are going to chop it up about America being a Christian nation, so to speak. I don't want to presume what you know, believe about that dynamic. So if you would, give us your sentiment and I will then opine. Sure. I think to start, it's a little bit dangerous to associate the city of man too closely with the city of God, no matter what country or what nation we're talking about. That being said, I do think that certain Christian ethical principles were not only instrumental, but necessary for the American founding to happen the way it did. The truths that we find elucidated in the Declaration of Independence, the care that we pay to checks and balances in our constitutional system. All of these stem from, I think, a Christian view on what a person is created in the image and likeness of God, which is why we're very careful to try and design our political institutions to protect man's natural rights. We call them natural rights, but who is the author of nature? It's God. You know, that's interesting. So Professor, I have a different point of view here. Um, according to the founders of America, the founders and framers even of the constitution, they were trying to establish a secular government not a Christian government. And they wanted to establish a separation between your religious values and the way things actually operate in government world. So much so that they forbid religious tests according to article six. They do not mention God in context of religion, only in context of you can ask them if they believe in God or not, okay? And when you look at scripture, because if you're saying, okay, these Christian individuals, they created principles rooted in democracy and, and, and rights, etc. Well, that's not in the Bible. Uh, democracy does not exist in scripture. So if you're telling us they gave a form of democracy based on their um, scripture or based on the Bible, I challenge you, Professor, to find me in the Bible where there's an established democracy in text. Great questions, so I'll take them in order if I may. So it's absolutely true that the First Amendment creates a separation between church and state at the national or federal level. But you have to remember that at the time of the American Revolution, most of the states, the colonies turned states had official established churches. And those churches would be on the denominational map. Virginia was Anglican, a lot of the New England states were Congregationalists, depending on their particular histories and their particular heritage. Eventually, we decided for reasons as the nation evolved to incorporate the Bill of Rights against the states as well, in the sense that states had to also uphold the rights that were listed in the Bill of Rights. But well into the 19th century, you still had some of the early or original states that had official established churches. I think the right way to read the separation 
separation of church and state at the national level was not an attempt to keep all religion out of the public square. It was an attempt to make sure that the various Christian denominations wouldn't try and use the national government as a battering ram to try and beat each other over the head to, fit, to privilege their favorite denomination. As for democracy, natural rights, and those things that we do not find in scripture, you're right. Scripture does not say that democracy, let alone liberal democracy, is the most just or most perfect form of government. What I think that we can take from scripture is the elucidation of moral principles pertaining to what human beings are owed in virtue of their status of being created in the image of God. And what the founders did was then take that model of the human person and say, what kind of a political system do we think is most likely to protect human rights? Now, obviously they failed in certain key ways, right? There was the moral abomination of slavery that was with us for far too long. But on the whole, I think that we can be confident that there were important Christian animating principles in the American experiment. It was hypocrisy. It's what it was. The same individuals that you're talking about when you say, well, they created a document that said these individuals are made in the image of God. Well, according to them, only white men who were wealthy was made were made in the image of God. That's a problem for me. Because if you were white and a male and did not own property, you couldn't even participate in voting, nor could you run for office. That was the democracy they wanted to hand us. So when we start talking God talk and when we say, well, these individuals were righteous. They wanted um, men or, or people to be recognized as being created by God and being equal. That's never, that's, that's never, that was never what they wanted, Professor. They never wanted an actual democracy. They never were of the people, for the people, by the people. It was of the people who were white men. It was for the people who are white men, all right? And wealthy white men at that. So you have this genesis of our country. Then we have this retelling of the narrative. That suggests these individuals were noble. Professor, I hate to drop this to you, dear brother. But these were not noble men. Maybe they were brilliant. Maybe they understood processes and psychology and human dynamics and sociology. But they were not good people. They owned people. They hurt people. Many of them killed people. And they did not believe that every person should be equal. I don't think that's good. And also, the reason why I think this is a fascinating topic because a lot of a lot of what we believe is, I guess, American policy or um, Christian dogma are interconnected. For example, uh, the marriage conversation, right? The marriage dynamic in by, by way of Christian evangelicals, they say, oh, well, it's one man, one woman. That's their standard, and typically they get that from Scripture. But Scripture allowed for other marriages too. Scripture allowed for men to marry many wives. Scripture allowed for marriages to be arranged. So there are many different marriages. Also, there's text that suggests you don't mix marriages. So there are many different marriages. My point is, we have taken something from Christian scripture and tried to apply it and make it law, and it doesn't fit the concept of a secular government. Do you disagree with me? You're not gonna get any argument from me on slavery. It was the original sin of the country, it's abhorrent. There's no excusing it. We can recognize, as you said, the genius of these men and their understanding of human nature, while also recognizing that this was a serious moral fault. That if they were serious about their rhetoric, they would have done everything that they could have to abolish it then and there. Many of them tried, there were sectional interests that prevented it from happening. But that doesn't mean that you just give up and let the issue fester for more than half a century. That's not acceptable to me and I would agree 
agree with you on that. As for the relationship between church and state and the embodiment of public law, that's definitely a tricky issue. On the one hand, the animating principles behind liberal democracy stem from human rights, which to me and many others, many citizens of the United States make the most sense if you believe that we have rights because those rights are given to us by God. But many Americans today are secular. Many more are secular today than in the late 19th century. And we have to create a government that not only does justice for those who are of faith, but does justice for those who for whatever reason aren't there yet or maybe never will be there. We have to find a way to frame the government for all the people that respects the inherent human dignity of all persons. Yeah, well, many of the founders of America were secular too. I mean, many of them were deist and they would be openly hostile against Christianity, or at least the orthodoxy of the Christian faith. Let me remind you of the Treaty of Tripoli, you remember this. And this treaty was back in 1797, that's when the Senate unanimously ratified, and I'm gonna read the quote. The Senate unanimously ratified the language so that people would be crystal clear about what kind of country we have. In that 1797 decision by the US Senate, it says, and I quote, that the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. 1797, they ratified it, all right, law, okay? Then you go to 1802, there's a letter to the Danbury Baptist. Thomas Jefferson explained why a wall of separation was erected between church and state and went into explicit detail about how we have to keep those lines distinctly separate in order to have a just society. And then in 1960, remember the election of John F. Kennedy would have become first American Catholic president had not pledged to the greater Houston Ministerial Association that his religious beliefs would not dictate the public policy position of his administration. So it's really fascinating. In one sense, professor, you have a group saying, "Oh, your religious beliefs need to be part of your policy direction, need to be part of your elected office, or need to be part of your public position. And then when there's an individual who has a different type of Christian doctrine, all of a sudden they need to pledge that their faith would not become part of their expression in political office, all right? Quite hypocritical. But going back to what Jefferson said, the only reason why you have this hypocrisy is because you blurred the line. If you didn't blur the lines, you wouldn't have the hypocrisy that you do. So you don't see this as greatly hypocritical, but individuals who would suggest that in order for this country to function, we need to adopt a, a Christian or a theocratic style of government for our country to move forward. Because there are many on the right, dear brother, who are saying precisely that. And saying that we have to bring that version of America back and that this country is in fact founded as a Christian nation, contrary to the facts. Great questions. I think in particular referring to those early documents, those documents, the Senate treaty, the letters, those were again all written at times where even though the national government had decided that it wasn't going to push for the establishment of a particular Christian denomination, many of the states had established churches. Federalism is also an important and integral part of the American experiment. And the founders decided that the best way to make sure that we get the public benefits of religion without its divisiveness was to make sure that state support for religious institutions, if it existed, was going to happen at the state and local level. Not that it wasn't going to happen, it just wasn't going to happen in Washington. As for the revival of a sort of Christian politics, I think that you can have a nation founded on Christian values that pursues Christian values that does not 
use the arm of the state to compel belief in Christianity. Okay. Really, you can't compel belief. Faith by its definition must be a free response to the love of God. If you just try to compel somebody, it wouldn't be faith. And so I would argue that that effort would actually make souls go further away from God rather than closer to God. But again, you don't need to try and enforce a party line, so to speak, with respect to Christianity to have a nation animated by Christian principles. And if we don't rely on those principles anymore to underpin natural rights and the foundational principles of the nation, we need to find some other foundation for natural rights and human rights. What are Christian principles? Name some for me. That all human beings are created in the image and likeness of God, that all are unrepeatable centers of dignity, that all human beings everywhere are called to communion with God and that that is their highest end. And that even all public institutions have to ultimately help us get there, if only by carving out a space where we, with our families, our local communities, can worship according to our conscience. I would what argue that those are the foundational Christian uh, Christian principles. Okay, very good. What are, what about those who do not believe in a creator, do not believe in God? They must be left to pursue whatever religion they have, even if it's none as their conscience dictates. Simply because again, whether someone agrees with you or not about the nature of God and his revelation of Jesus Christ, it's wrong to coerce them. It's wrong to try and forcibly bring them to the faith. Forcible baptism is a non-starter in all Christian groups and all denominations. You just can't do it. Well, some people do. But let me say this, brother, and I appreciate the honesty because I'm with you 90% of this stuff, right? I I agree with you, and I think you agree with me. But here's the breakdown. Remember when clerks refused to sign marriage license or certificates to marry because they had a religious prohibition to doing it? What were your thoughts about that movement in America? That was a complicated issue. I think that there are valid grounds to think that to the extent that we have public recognition of marriage as an institution, there is a civil rights issue there that necessitates that if you're going to have a public office, and if you're going to give public sanction to a particular institution, then you can't basically decide on your own as a public officer who qualifies and who does not. On the other side of that issue, it doesn't also seem right to compel an individual because they hold a specific belief in a specific faith to act against their conscience to uphold their public duties. Yeah, if we clear. have no religious right, if but if we have no religious tests for office, that has to work both ways. On the one hand, you can't force your religion on anybody else in the governmental sphere. On the other hand, you shouldn't be able to boot somebody out of government simply because they have a compelling conscience objection. So I'm not quite sure how to resolve that tension. That's a difficult one. Well, personally, I would like to duty. see. Remember, germane to the duty. If it's germane to the duty, you refuse to do that duty and effectively shutting down that office, then they can remove you, even if it is a religious objection, because what you have decided to do is effectively not do your job. That's a problem, Professor, correct? Mm-hmm. That's one possible way that you can resolve that tension. For me, okay. I think that the best path forward would actually be having no public certification of marriage whatsoever. Brother, I, I, I was about to bring that point up. I only have a few minutes before my next show. Let me piggyback on that because I think you and I may actually agree. Yeah. Um, I don't think government should have ever been involved in marriage in the first place. That's my conclusion on this. Are you with me on that so far? 
I think that I can get behind that, yeah. Okay. I'm 90% of the way there. I can sort of understand a compelling public interest in recognizing a social, a social institution like marriage that predates and lies outside the state. But it's gotten so tangled up now that we've basically made marriage into a political problem. And that's not good for religion and that's not good for civil society. Let's do the historical context here. The reason why marriage certificates became a thing because they were not at first. States started to pass these prerequisite marriage laws called a marriage certificate or marriage license. The reason they did this is because they wanted to regulate who could marry by way of race. They wanted to make sure white women were not marrying black men. And in order to enforce this, they mandated their citizens or those that lived in the state, they had to get this prerequisite known as a marriage license. All right, so now all of a sudden the definition of marriage has changed again. Now in order to be married, you have to go to the government and get a government license to be married to the person that you love. Christian evangelicals back then did not seem outraged by this because they knew what the play was. They understood why governments were doing this. It was rooted in bigotry. So they were okay with government intrusion as relation to marriage. And when we look at something like marriage, having a mandate of government prerequisite before you engage in the act of marriage. When we look at that and we're not, we don't cringe at the fact that that was a transformation of marriage in America rooted in bigotry. They've already won because they have made us accustomed to this kind of intrusion. The second thing is, if two adults, dear brother, would like to be recognized for the sake of taxation, they live together, they commune together, and they would like the government to recognize them as a couple, regardless of their, if they're male or female, right? You don't think that's appropriate for the government to recognize that union, no matter what? I didn't know that particular bit of history, although it doesn't surprise me. And I don't have a personally an evangelical background. I see marriage as a sacrament of the church, a sacrament that is performed by those who are entering into the sacrament and sealed by the priest. Marriage is something that means something to Christians inside the church, inside the kingdom of God. And I really don't feel comfortable with having government involved with it in any way, shape or form. I think I'm 90% of the way there. Again, I understand the tensions and I understand some of the hard cases that might result from that paradigm. But ultimately, I have to think that if we're serious, we Christians, about putting the kingdom of God first, then we can't piggyback our important basic social institutions on the back of a government permission slip. It has to be for the church, in the church, by the church. I'm flat out of time, got the next show. Professor, always good having you on the program, always a thoughtful conversation. We're gonna have you back very soon, okay? Thank you, God bless you. God bless you, man. All right, the conversation, don't forget, is next. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. People still need health care, so I won't stop. People still need criminal justice systems reform throughout this country, so I won't stop. And you won't stop either.